Welcome to the first Crime of the Century podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Prendeville. I believe that because of what we're teaching our students, we're losing an entire generation. And I also believe that because of how we're taught to pay for it, most of America is going broke attempting to pay for it. And so today I'm going to share my story and why I wrote a book on this subject. Crime of the Century starts right now. And this is why I believe what I just said. I want to bring you back all the way a few years ago when I was in school. And I remember this day very vividly. And I will, even if I get Alzheimer's, even if uh, I forget everything else, this day is going to stick with me for the rest of my days. I was sitting in an English class, minding my own business. I usually attended or showed up for class about 15 minutes early. And it was actually kind of a nice day. It was in mid-March uh, or so, and it was kind of a rare, nice day. Um, and I, I'm sitting there. I believe it was just me, one or two other people in the classroom. And one of my friends, a, a very good professor, who I'm still in contact with, um, stuck his head in the, the door. And he said... Uh, Kevin, can I talk with you? Okay. Uh, and I, I, I rose up out of my chair. I walked over to him, and I started attempting some sort of small talk. I had no idea what was up, and he stayed silent, almost awkwardly silent. It was worrying, to say the least. And we walked down this, this hallway right outside the, the classroom, and... It was a small bridge and extension from the old building to the new building. And so we walked through. It was very hot. It was made out of plexiglass. I think it was designed in the 70s. And, and so even though it was only about 60 degrees outside, it was always about 20 degrees warmer in there, killer in the summer. And we stepped into his office, and it wasn't any bigger than the room I'm in now, 100 square feet maybe. <laughs> Wall-to-wall history books everything, and, and, and he really studied German history, so everything from Martin Luther uh, to, and that's the German philosopher, not the civil rights activist, uh, to, to Otto von Bismarck, to Adolf Hitler, to Angela Merkel, and that's, I remember looking at those stacked, again, wall to wall, and thinking of the amount of knowledge that was in this room, the amount of understanding, not knowledge, understanding, because there is a difference. And he sits me down, and we're nearly nose to nose in this little in this little hovel, this little room that they have him in. And he tells me, he said, um, I'm going to have to remove you from one of your classes. And I looked at him, Taken aback, I, there was no precedent. I, I okay, all right. I might have said a few jokes in in class. I might have you know horsed around a bit, but you know to the point of being kicked out or something. I didn't set anybody on fire. It's not like I I had done anything extremely uh, offensive, or so I had thought. And uh, he pulls out my recent assignment uh, that I had just turned into this other professor and he says that she claimed it was 
disrespectful that it somehow didn't I didn't take in the full as I try to recall the the BS that, that was thrown at me I believe it was put in a tone of I wasn't following I wasn't understanding the full picture and that I had been disrespectful to her and her assignment and essentially she had us read a scholar named uh, I forget his name I'll figure out the name and then we'll cut that back in and his claim to fame was that he looked everything at everything through a communist lens through Karl Marx's idea of man and he talked a lot about class warfare and uh, his family was Jewish and he is very atheist but he was able to escape from from Nazi Germany he's a little bit of an older scholar but I had railed against him in my paper that that the way he was describing uh, his experiences uh, in Germany were simply didn't corroborate with some other sources and seemed very heavily influenced by his view of the world and I simply brought that up and granted I was a bit aggressive but that's who I am I believe that everybody has a God-given right to liberty and it is my mission to educate people as to the control of man-made institutions so that they can achieve their God-given right to liberty and one of those things is exposing these trends both in our academic institutions these uh, communistic trends and in our government institutions and I was simply exposing it again here um, and that may be too harsh of a word I don't think I was exposing anything that wasn't already known about this man and he said that I was going to be thrown out of the classroom kicked to the curb just uh, you know you can still do the assignments but you're not going to be in class anymore and so I it, it went through my mind what uh, how could someone have the audacity to silence somebody who may have simply a different political viewpoint in, in addition to to horsing around a bit and again nothing offensive but um, I was also very vocal about politics and this was right after the 2016 election and she was not happy about the outcome to say the least now I wasn't overjoyed but I support the president and certainly supported him as a candidate and though that has wavered now at that time I wasn't about to call him a fascist nor was I about to call him a Nazi if you understand history and you understand the context that led to the rise of somebody like a Mussolini or Hitler then it's impossible to compare any American president ever Democrat or Republican to the conditions in Germany Italy Spain and other minor fascist nations and I had vocally opposed her not once not twice at least three times four times 
when she even has to do an assignment to compare President Trump to Mussolini. Which, of course, we were supposed to come to that conclusion by ourselves. It wasn't a uh, foregone conclusion, but it was more or less supposed to come out that way. And I simply wouldn't have it. And I laid out my argument as to why the two are incomparable. And using both personality traits from either, uh, either man, historical analysis, and a very, I would say, academic paper, that was also used against me. That I was somehow attacking her personally. And that I began to wonder these professors, and she had a doctorate, so these doctrinate professors, these, these supposed learned men and women of our institutions, can they not divorce themselves from their politics to the point where their politics and their political beliefs become an extension of their personalities, of their egos? And so my ability to my prowess in, in, in debating her suddenly became less of an of a argument on principle and more of an argument and an attack on her. And once I began to understand that, that, that no longer are politics and personality divorced, I began to see the wider problem. So I went back and I knew I wasn't the only person to have suffered this fate. And I did some research on what had other ha in other schools and what had other students been forced through. And oddly enough, there was um, a student, a, a girlfriend of one of my roommates actually, who had been going to a larger university right down the road. And she was told to sit on the floor because her skin color was white, her eyes were blue, and her hair was blonde. And there is no justification for something like that. Even to make a point, to make somebody physically do something, one, against their will, and two, that is against what we as a country hold as truth, and what we as a country have been founded on, and what we as a country should to as much as possible and that's being eroded away and it's not the younger generation's fault it's not somehow our kids are dumb and 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 those under us and those who are young simply don't understand and that their naivety and, and and my own naivety maybe maybe part of that but there's a wider issue See, now our, our academic institutions have not become a place of learning and knowledge and understanding and a place to remove that naivete, but now it's become a place of indoctrination. That a professor who's never necessarily worked a day in their lives outside of that institution, someone who's brought up through a learning institution, a public school, goes to college, then pursues a doctorate, doesn't necessarily have the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial experience or even the office space experience to then dictate how the world works. 
See, because there's only so much you can learn from a textbook. There's almost so much, only so much you can learn without beginning to seep into delusion. And now that there are so many who did not earn their credentials, I feel did not earn their credentials, our students are taking the brunt of that. And, and there are many in the millennial generation, I believe, who are more conservative, but their voices are, are shut down. Their voices are maligned. And if they don't have a support system or they don't have any other conservative parent, conservative brother, sister, or conservative friend, where is their strength going to come from? Where is that ability to keep going going to come from? It's either going to come from within or it's going to be removed. And that's not naivete. That's not a benefit. That's just simply indoctrination and almost a verbal suicide within society. If there's only one single voice, you can be sure that that's not right. Come back in segment two. I'll show you how you're going broke attempting to pay for this indoctrination. Just wanted to let you know that this is brought to you by Ohio National. Ohio National, life changes will be there. I believe most of America is going broke attempting to pay for this indoctrination. You heard me end the last segment with that and I want to bring it for a full circle because by not understanding how we pay for this education. We are unknowingly and unnecessarily sending tens of hundreds of thousands, if not millions in some cases, of potential, of potentially investable dollars, of potentially spendable dollars, and we're sending it all the way to the government and these educational institutions. And yet it's because of what we're taught and how to spend it that causes this issue. And is it even worth it? I want you to think for a minute. A lot of us have student debt. The average by age 22 is $50,000. Yet the average American won't even start to make $50,000 until age 40. That math doesn't add up to me either. But I want you to think about the student debt that you might have right now. Was it worth it? Is that, let's say $50,000 of student debt, did that get you a job that made you 100000 Did that get you a job that made you 200 Did that get you a job that you could easily pay that debt off in just a few years? Because that, I would consider that a good debt if you could pay that off quickly and it got you a job that you would not have had without taking on the debt. But we can't all be Ben Carson. We can't all be neurosurgeons. We can't all jump into a job that pays us $600,000 up front on day one and pay for that large debt. So if you go for, you know, some California school that will teach you feminist basket weaving or electric dance therapy, is that $30,000 job that, $30, job that, that we're going to end up with worth 50000 of debt? Most Americans, 76%, live paycheck to paycheck. 
Think about that. They have some of the largest debt in the world. Debt, by the way, that you can't get rid of by declaring bankruptcy. Almost anything can be solved by declaring bankruptcy. Not student debt. Is that fair? How are you supposed to save for you? How are you supposed to save for your student? How are you, or your, your, your child? How, how are you supposed to enjoy life? Enjoy what you've earned? If so much of it is going to the government, to financial institutions, to educational institutions, who frankly don't care whether or not you're broke. They just want their money. And yet we're told if we do make enough, the government has plans for you. 529 plans and these the the ability to save, all you need is a plan. All you need is a a qualified plan. Something that the benevolent IRS takes care of for you and and make sure that you save money in that account for 18 years. And don't worry, because if you try to access that cash before 18 years, uh, you will be penalized. Now, I would argue that that's your money. You earned it. You paid tax on it. And you put it away into this account. So why is someone else to tell you how to spend it, when to spend it, and where to spend it? See, because if you end up using that money for anything other than educational purposes, you are assessed a penalty. It's in the stock market. So if the market does crash at any time during 18, those 18 years, you will lose that money and that potential forever. And you must drain the account to zero in four years. Who earns what you just saved? Who benefits from it? Is it your child? I mean, in theory it should be, but as I've just discussed, we're not being taught any tangible attributes, anything to, to clear our minds and allow us to understand the breadth of the world. We're simply, under, we're simply taught how to think. And not even that, we're taught what to think. And we're spending all this money to attempt to pay for it. Living paycheck to paycheck ourselves. And some institution, some bureaucrat's going to tell you how to live. See, that doesn't seem right to me. That seems to me to be a violation of our fundamental rights, which is chiefly the right to liberty and how if liberty starts with finance which I believe how can we ever get ahead and how can we truly be free if our dollars are dictated by someone else but this is not what we're taught and this is not how we're taught to spend these dollars does that bother you I mean it bothers me and I'm not you and the idea that we can somehow get ahead, but all we need is a degree, I think is becoming more and more passe. You look at technical jobs, and you look at some of the 
kids who I grew up who ended up being carpenters and and I remember in high school and in everything and in middle school oh those are the stupid kids they're in technical school and 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 our public school bred that and and, and it taught us to look down at those students so we look down at the people who come out with almost no debt a degree in some tangible uh, service and as more and more carpenters and dentists and uh, auto and mechanics, as they start to retire and demand goes up, what do you think is going to happen to their wage? Goes up, goes down, stays the same. That's not for me to tell you, but I'm sure you can draw your own conclusions. And yet I'm supposed to act like I'm the smart one. I took on all this debt, got a useless degree, and... Now I'm going to spend most of my life trying to pay for it. There's a reason he's driving the Corvette and I'm driving the Dodge Dart. And yet, who benefits in the end? The government recently released its uh, 2017 uh, report, uh, end-of-year report, in which it recorded a $1.2 trillion loss. Now, if this was a business, obviously, they would have long been gone, but... Bureaucrats with unlimited revenue streams can last as long as they want. What do you think their number one asset was? Tax dollars? Perhaps some other investment? Student debt. Number one. Listed as their asset. So who who's making the money here? Who's benefiting? And I'm not saying it's all the government faults because the banks are equally complicit in this. Do you think really that an 18-year-old could qualify for a $200,000 loan to go to school or qualify for hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt? I doubt it. (laughs) I doubt working at McDonald's that, that, that a reasonable banker could ever give that loan, but they do. You can't get rid of it in bankruptcy. You're going to pay it off for a very, very long time. The bank knows they're going to make money off of it, and so does the government. And so does, if you have a fine of 29 plan, so does the educational institution. And what are you left with? What are you left with that you earn, that you have the right to, that you have the right to control I'm not saying don't spend a dime, but I'm saying understand what's happening to it. And I'm going to explore in the next few podcasts, in the next few weeks, exactly why I called this the crime of the century, but I'm not bloviating, nor am I exaggerating. I truly believe this is the crime of the century because I believe what we're being taught is useless. It's indoctrination, and it doesn't allow us to experience the breath of the world I believe most of America is going broke attempting to pay for this useless indoctrination. And it's not just my story. It is the unfortunate writings that are on the wall that, that tell a dark picture for our future. But come back in the next segment and I'll put a pretty bow on this. Uh, ugly, ugly pig, and we will attempt to unpack this more in the coming weeks. I believe most of us are going broke attempting to pay for a second-rate education. 
And how is this possible? Well, that I explain in 47 pages. Amazon says it's worth 12, but I tell you what, just for you, I'm gonna sell it to you for 10 with an MP3 included on my new site, kevinprendeville.com. Link in the description, go ahead, check it out. 10 bucks for an MP3, five podcasts, and the crime of the century. Now, I'm no genius. All I've done is write a few books and uh, unfortunately had to spend most of what I've earned on what I have found to be mostly in, in different education. But I, I want your response. Is what I'm saying accurate to you? Do you believe the same? Do you believe the same as me in terms of education? In terms of going broke, trying to pay for the education? Now, what what would you do to, to solve this issue? I know my own solutions are detailed in Crime of the Century, but I don't feel they're strong enough. And I at some point would like to do a second edition of a book with somebody else's response because I don't want this to be just a one-man band. So if this interests you at all and you made it to the end, I would like your feedback in the comments. Uh, describe how you would solve this uh, problem. And if you believe the same as I do, if you believe that we should be in control of our wealth, if you believe that it's our God-given right to liberty... Go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Go ahead and hit the like button on Facebook. Links are both in the description. And I'll see you on the next Crime of the Century podcast.